And that will be our text this morning, chapter 4 of Mark's Gospel. As we continue our verse-by-verse study in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, we're going to begin reading at verse 1, and Lord willing, we're going to get through all of chapter 4 this morning. So I want to get right into our study. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand as Pastor Jim comes off the platform. We want you to be able to read with us what's in the text and follow along with us. So Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, is where we'll begin our text. Now you recall that as we have seen so far in Jesus' ministry up in the Galilee region, that the multitudes are increasing. They are getting greater to where the gospel narratives say that there were great multitudes that are coming in, pressing upon Jesus. And they are coming to um, Jesus, to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, to be touched by Jesus. So this isn't just a few hundred people or even a few thousand people. I believe these are thousands upon thousands of people that are coming to Jesus. They're coming from all around that area of Galilee and all of Israel and even up into the north in in what is called today Lebanon and on the east side of the Jordan River. They're pouring into the Galilee region. They're bringing those who are sick because Jesus, as we have seen, has been healing uh, people of every kind of sickness and disease and he's been casting demons out of those who are demon-possessed, and so the people are, are really amazed. They're astonished. They've never seen anything like this before. We also know at this time in Jesus' ministry that the religious leaders of the land, the Pharisees and the scribes, the political leaders, the Herodians, are mounting their opposition against Jesus, and now they are determined to have him be put to death. And so last week, as we saw and read in chapter 9, or that is in verse 9 of chapter 3, Jesus told the disciples to have a boat ready in case he needs to get some space between himself and the people because they're pressing in around him. And you can just kind of picture the scene. There are tens of thousands of people, and they're desperate to touch him. Verse 9 tells us that the crowds were about ready to, to crush Jesus, And so now as we open up chapter 4, we see that Jesus gets into that boat that the disciples had ready for him, and he gets in the boat, he rows out a little bit, but he doesn't leave them at this point. But what we're going to see is he begins to teach them. Chapter 4, verse 1, we do read, And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. So this multitude being great, Jesus getting into the boat, pushed out from shore to keep the crowds from reaching him so that he might teach them. Now, geographically, as I've explained to you, the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of the country kind of sits in a bowl. Matter of fact, it's about 800 feet below sea level is the Sea of Galilee, and it sits in a bowl. It's a a large lake that's about nine miles wide and 12 miles long, and it's mountainous all around it. And so it acts as, particularly on the northern shores, and that's where Jesus is spending most of his ministry up in that region where Capernaum was and Bethsaida and some of the other uh, towns that were nestled on those hillsides. That's on the north shores, and it's a natural amphitheater is what it is. And so he could row out a little bit. He can use the water to project his voice because those of us who have fished at lakes or been around lakes, we know that our voices bounce on the water. And so he uses 
um, that area and the lake and the natural hillsides there to act as an amphitheater to be able to teach the multitudes there. And you can picture the scene as the multitudes in that rural area on the hillsides are all over. There's people just scattered everywhere, and they're all coming, pouring in to see Jesus. And there's this noise, and people trying to reach him and touch him and, and, and see him. And all of a sudden, he gets into this boat. He rows out a little bit, and he begins to teach the people. And at that time, I imagine, there's just this beautiful quietness and stillness as he begins to speak to them. And so we, we are going to see that he's going to begin to speak and teach to them in ways they had never done before. Jesus made use of a parable. The word parable comes from the idea of to set alongside. It is to set a spiritual truth alongside a daily truth of living. And in this parable, Jesus begins to teach on faith using the parable about faith, verse 2. And then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell on among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. In verse 8, But other seed fell on good ground, and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. Verse 11 goes on to tell us, And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they shall turn and their sins be forgiven them, as he's quoting from the book of Isaiah chapter 6. So in telling in parables, he is doing it to reveal a truth to you and to conceal a truth from them, that is, from those who do not want to know. And in this parable, Jesus would describe something that they would all be familiar with. It's an agricultural area, and they can picture this, this farmer casting seeds on the ground and the seed falling on different types of soil. And so then Jesus will later on begin to explain the parable as verse 13, he begins to do that. As he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? And verse 14, the sower sows the word. So in this parable that a lot of us are familiar with, the, the, the one who went and the, sowing the seed, he explains to us that the seed is the word of God. And so the seed being the word of God is being sown into the soil, the soil being the hearts of men. Now here's the thing to keep in the back of your mind as we go through this parable, that the seed being the word of God, there's nothing wrong with the seed here. The seed is, when given the right heart, is going to produce fruit. And so the problem is, is the condition of men's hearts. 
And so as the seed is being cast, as it's being sown here, it is being sown upon different hearts and something happens to whether either it's going to be taken away or it's going to be choked out or whether it's not healthy to where it's going to wither away or it's going to produce fruit. And so we need to understand that the seed is powerful. The seed works. The, the seed is going to, to be able to do what it, it's supposed to do when it falls upon the right conditions of the heart. And I want to mention that because you and I, what we are to do as we minister to others is that we are to sow the seed of the Word, give them the Word of God. But what happens is, is that sometimes we think, well, maybe I need to sow something else. And the church can be today kind of in that mindset. Well, maybe I need to sow, you know, entertainment or man-made programs or come up with gimmicks or be clever or a lot of different stories rather than giving those that we minister to and that we talk with just the seed of the word. If you sow into the spirit, good harvest is going to come up. If you sow into the flesh, of the flesh you're going to reap corruption and so understand there's nothing wrong with the seed it's the soil that there's problems with first peter chapter 1 verse 23 says that we've been born again not of corruptible seed but incorruptible through the word of god which lives and abides forever we've been born again through the seed that is the word of god which lives and abides forever if you're in the word if i'm in the word the word being the seed is going to take root there and then it's going to produce a fruit. Faith is going to grow because Romans chapter 10, verse 17 declares faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we are not in the word, we will experience a barrenness in our lives. So Jesus here in explaining this parable begins to say that the seed is the word of God. And then we read on in verse 15. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time afterwards when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So Jesus says that there are those, verse 15, that hear preaching the teaching the truth of god's word those seeds are sown but it, it falls on hard ground it falls by the wayside and we see that it represents that heart that is very very hardened the seed isn't able to penetrate into that individual's heart and so the enemy satan is able to come around and pluck away the seed and then they go their way and I think that a lot of us, we've experienced that at some time in our lives if we're sharing the truth of God's word with others. It may be family members. It may be those that, you, that are your neighbors. It may be those that you work alongside of. We give them the truth of God's word, and they say, I don't want to hear that. Uh, I don't believe in that. Don't give me the Bible. Quit giving me verses of the Bible. And their hearts are very hard. And so it falls there, and then the enemy just comes and plucks it right away because of the hardness of their hearts. 
So that's verse 15, one type of soil. And in the next type of soil, there are those who take in the word. And as they hear it, they say amen to it. All right. They receive it with gladness. But when the hour of tribulation or difficulties come, or as Mark's gospel records here, the sun begins to shine. And because of the warmth of the sun and the shallowness of their roots, they wither away. Verses 16 and 17. So we need to understand really what's being emphasized here because the problem with the plant withering under the heat of the sun is not the sun. Actually, the sun can make that plant healthy and prolific and fruitful. The sun can be helpful. The problem is the root system is shallow. And you see, in our lives and in our ministry to others, what we can tend to do is when difficulty does come, or persecution comes because of the word has been sown. Because we're ones that we're listening to the word of God. We tend to want to be shielded from the sun. We want to be shielded from the difficulties and the hardships, and they will come. I think all of us in this room, we know that we will go through trials and tribulations, and there are those who will come against us because of the truth of God's word. But do you realize that when we go through trials and difficulties, and listen, I'm the first to admit, I hate going through trials. I don't like going through difficulties. I I don't like having people come against me because of the Word of God. But I do know that in those times that the Lord allows me to go through, the hard times and the difficulties, or whatever may come my way, that it can be in those times that if I am rooted in God's word and standing on his promises and, and the word of God has taken root in my heart, that it can be where maturity comes and faith grows in those times. It's, it's like James. In his epistle says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith works patience and let patience have its perfect work. In other words, that there's a testing of your faith when we go through difficulties as a child of God and let patience, as you are patient, letting God's promises that you know and that you're standing on, being worked out in your life, that is going to have its work and that work is going to bring you to perfection. In other words, there's going to be a maturity that's going to happen in your life. Peter wrote in his epistle, Think it not strange concerning fiery trials which come your way, but this is that which will purify your faith. So I suggest to you, for you personally, and for you who are helping people, parents perhaps to your children, or if you're ministering to others, that when they go through difficulties or hardships or whatever it might be, to give them the Word of God, to give them that comfort of the Word of God, the promises of God, and encourage them to to get the Word of God that takes root in their hearts. And as it does, there's going to be fruit that's going to be produced. And that's what we need to emphasize to people. Those who are strong in the trials and those who come out of those trials with God working His blessings and working that maturity in them and patience and character, as Romans chapter 5 goes on to say, and ends up having a hope, and hope does not disappoint, are the ones that are grounded in God's Word. So the problem, brother, sister, is that you're not deep in the things of God. The root system is lacking. You're sporadic in your study. Your prayers are hit and miss. Your roots are shallow. You're not 
firm and strong and, and in the Word of God. And that's why you are caving in and withering up and falling down in these times of pressure. So getting our root system deep, and that's why I pray oftentimes before we have a Bible study, Lord, may our hearts be like fertile soil, that it may take root there. It's kind of like in the summertime. Summer is going to come. And when it comes to our lawns, and you remember back a few years ago when we were going through that time of drought and we really had some water restrictions that were you know, put in place for the first time. And in our lawns, um, you know, in the springtime when it's wet and it's cool, they look so good. But in the heat of the summer in July and August, what happens is they begin to dry up a little bit. And so it's good to try to, to water your lawn to where those roots get deep down into your lawn. That's why many aerate and things like that, to get the root system down into the ground. Because when the heat comes, that lawn doesn't dry up as fast or brown out as much. And that's the same with us. The heat's going to come. And as long as we are in this world and living for Christ, and as long as we are ones that we believe in the Word of God, the hot times are going to come. The difficulties are going to come just by the fact that we live in a fallen world and that the world will come against us as Christians. And so get deep in the things of God, in the Word of God. And those who are strong in the Lord are strong and mature in the Word of God, being in their hearts and taking root there. And that's why we need to pray, Lord, every time that I read the Bible, every time that I, I hear Bible study, Lord, I want it to take root in my heart and be deep in the things of God. So it's important that we understand that, not to have a shallow root system. In verse 18, Jesus goes on to say, the third group, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So the word is choked out of those because of the cares of the world, the cares of riches and pleasures. A lot of new toys and hobbies, they end up choking the word out of us because they become the priority no longer interested in the things of God, no interested in, in learning the Word of God. I'm only concerned in the things of the world and possessions and the pleasures of the world, and it will choke the Word out of you. We heard this being mentioned to us and taught to us yesterday as guys at the men's conference, as those pastors came in and encouraged us in standing firm in the Lord in these days in which we're living in. And one of the problems that can come to men and to any of us is we get so distracted by the things of the world and the cares of the world that the Lord really no longer becomes the priority in our lives. And in our world today, in society, I think that this condition of the heart is one that we really need to take heed to. Because the great tendency of this world is to go after and prioritize the cares of this world. We are you know, living in a society that is prioritizing material things and possessions. That's what the priority is. And you will not be happy, and you will not be fulfilled, and you will not be satisfied unless you have these things. Now, as I told the guys yesterday as I was addressing them, there's nothing wrong in and of itself of having things. We all have things. We all have things that we enjoy doing. But if those things have you, then there is a problem. 
if they have a grip on your heart, if they are the priority of your life, then the Word of God is going to be choked out of your life. It's like having that heart that, is, that has the Word that's sown there, but then there's thorns that come on along and begin to choke out the Word of God out of your life. And so lastly, verse 20, but they're the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the Word accept it and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. I like what Luke's Gospel says, that we read that Luke writes, they bear fruit with patience. Because as you and I take in Bible study to see this planet, and think, if you would, again this spring, when we begin to go out and we begin to plant our gardens out there, and who of us, when we do plant gardens, that we plant the seed out there in the garden, and then we put a little water on it, and then after two days we come out and we say, okay, nothing's happening, Um, nothing is coming up, so just forget about it. I'm going to stop watering this garden and I'm going to stop, you know, looking and see if there's any fruit that's coming up. No, we don't do that, do we? We plant the seed and we water it and we wait and we water it and we wait and we water it and we wait. And finally, maybe after 10 days, maybe after a couple weeks, there's a small breakthrough and the plant breaks through and it begins to grow. And we say, great, we do that with our gardens And we need to do that in the soil of our hearts spiritually. And please don't think that, well, I've gone to church for three weeks in a row and nothing is happening. I've had devotions for a week long and nothing's changing. I'm not seeing any fruit. I don't have any peace in my life. I'm not being blessed. I'm going to give it one more week and then it's back to sleeping in. You see, we can't have that mindset. And Jesus is going to tell now another parable that essentially is telling us the same thing. We need to be patient. We sow the seed, but we allow it to take time to take root, to bear fruit. The one who bears fruit is the one who receives the word of God, and then patiently you trust that in due time that you're going to bring forth fruit. But if you neglect your garden this summer physically, you know that your garden is going to go to pot that you're not going to produce fruit. There's not going to be very much that is going to come out of that garden. Well, it's the same thing spiritually. If you neglect it where you're not taking in the Word of God and continuing to take in and be washed with the water of the Word, then you're going to go to pot spiritually. So patience and continuing and being consistent. And that's why that I'm so committed in giving you the Word of God. Because I know that as I give the Word of God and as you continue to come, you're going to grow and your faith is going to grow and fruit is going to be produced in your life. But you've got to stick with it. I've got to stick with it and be patient. And in due time, you will bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. Jesus goes on to say, verse 21, Also he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Now people sometimes will use this verse and say, hey, everything that you've ever done wrong, thought wrong, is going to be exposed. The light's going to expose it. And we know that we can't hide anything from God. You may be able to hide your thoughts and what's in your heart, even your actions, to the people around you. But you can't hide it from God. God sees everything. He knows every 
thought that you think. He knows the intents of your heart. He knows your heart better than you do. But what we're seeing here in Jesus continuing here to talk about the word, talking about the light here in this instance, what he is telling us is, is that when you have a lampstand, that you don't hide that lamp. And so a lampstand, if you had any source of light back 2,000 years ago, that was very, very valuable. They don't have lights like we do where they walked in their homes and just turned on a light switch. And even today, that we are conscious, aren't we, of having lights on. When you come into the church during the week, we don't have all the lights on. We have the lights off because people aren't here. We just have the office and the entrance way open. And at home, I know the kids get tired of me saying, you know what, the light's on downstairs, can you guys turn it off? Or the garage lights, can you run out there and turn it off? It was even more valuable back then. If you had a lampstand that you wouldn't dare put it under a table, you wouldn't put it under a bed, you wouldn't put it under a basket. And so the Lord is telling us that, that as we have the light of God's word, it's not to be hidden. As the word of truth is given to you, then we have the privilege and the responsibility to share it with others, to expose the light. I, I want the light to be revealed, the Lord says. I don't want people to be in the darkness concerning the gospel, concerning my word, concerning my ways, but I want my truth to be shared, truth to radiate, light to shine forth. And if anyone has an ear to hear, let them hear. Unless our ears are opened by the Spirit of God, we don't have ears to hear. It is only by the Spirit that gives us the capacity to understand. The natural man does not understand. You recall that Paul would write to the Corinthians in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. Jesus said in the book of Revelation over and over again, when he was writing to the churches, he said, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so it is the Spirit that gives us the capacity to be able to understand, Lord, help me to understand what it is that I'm hearing. To be able to understand your truth and, and then be able to give that to others. He continues, verse 24, then he said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, and to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now Jesus tells us, take heed what you hear. Be careful what goes into your ears because it will leave its mark. It will have an effect on you. If you take in a lot of garbage of the world, it is going to affect you. And it will affect you in the way that a lot of garbage probably is going to come out of your mouth. So be careful. Take heed to what it is that you are hearing. And then he says, with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. In other words, as you search for the truth of the word, you will discover far more than you expected to find. You will be given, but you cannot get it apart from, again, opening your hearts and your ears to the Spirit and searching the word of God, seeking truth. And if you're willing to look, to hear, to search, to ask, to pray, and seek, then God will give you what you are searching for. In searching, you will find and more than you expected to find. I know that has been true in my life. As you take in, be sure that you give out, share with others the things that the Lord is showing you. You don't put a lamp under a basket. What you have is it being used to bless others as you give to others, to warm others, to refresh others and nourish others. 
If you don't use what you have, verse 26, you lose it. Maybe we've been given opportunities to share with the word with others, to share truth, but we don't seize that opportunity that's been given to us, and we lose that opportunity. As you search truth, it will be given more than you expected. If you do not search, if you're not reading your Bibles, you don't take heed to what you hear, you'll find oftentimes you will begin to lose the truth that you once had because all of a sudden other things of the world, the philosophies and the ways of the world begin to come in and fill your mind and fill your heart. Other things begin to take root in your heart and mind. Take heed to what you hear is what Jesus is saying. Pay attention to what it is that you're hearing. In verse 26, and he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, and he himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, what the Lord is saying is that there is this growth that takes place as God's word is being planted in your heart, as you have your own devotions. And that's my prayer, really, is that you are having your own devotions. I can't emphasize how important it is for your Christian walk with your Christian faith and growth in the Lord to have devotions, to be daily, consistently, constantly be taken in the Word of God. Reading the Bible for yourself. That's where you're going to see real growth begin to come in. As you come on Sunday mornings, as you come on Wednesday nights, as you listen to Grace FM and the Bible teachers that are teaching on the radio station, we hear the Word. We go over the Word. You take in the Word. The seed is being sown. The seed is being planted, and the Word of God begins to have an effect on your life. You can't always see it immediately, can you? But there is growth that has taken place. And here Jesus says the farmer sows the seed and goes to bed, and over time, first there's the blade, then there's the stalk, and then there's the ear, and then there's the full corn. And the same is true as the Word of God is being sown in your heart. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword is what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us. And gradually you will see as you're taking in the Word of God, taking heed to what it is that you hear, asking God to teach you and to grow you and give you understanding. You're going to see that your life's going to be transformed and you're going to be changed by the power of the Word that's coming into your heart day by day. You will grow spiritually. The glorious power of God's Word changing a person's life. For if you sow to the Spirit of the Spirit, you are going to reap. But you see, what happens with us individually and what can happen in the church is we get restless and we get impatient and we want to see fruit immediately, don't we? We want to see that full ear of corn. We want to be kind of like Jack and the Beanstalk and go out the next morning and climb that thing that's fully mature. It doesn't work that way. We want instant growth because we live in an instant world. Instant messaging, and we want things to happen right away. And it can be true in our own lives, and it can be true in the church. So that's why I believe that the church oftentimes will come up with different things. They try to get you to grow, and this is you know, going to grow you right away. Man-made gimmicks or whatever it might be that we come up with. And we need to realize that in God's economy and in God's way that we have to be patient 
and it takes time to, gr- to grow us, and it's a lifelong endeavor. And just like that corn stalk takes time to grow, the farmer doesn't know exactly how it's done. He just knows that over time, there's going to be a crop, there's going to be a harvest, there's going to be a maturity of the plant. And the same thing is true spiritually. We take in the word over time, and there's growth that will take place in our lives, and we can look back and we can see how far we come. We say, yeah, I see the work of God. I can see what the Lord is doing, how far He has brought me, how He's teaching me. And so the value and the beauty of God's Word being sown into our hearts, there are changes that are taking place slowly, gradually, day by day, morning by morning. And over a period of time, you see things developing and changing. And it's just wonderful. It's great to see that fruit being produced in your life. God has changed my life. He's changed my attitudes, my outlooks on life. I I have real wisdom. I don't get upset and angry like I used to. I I have answers. I have God's promises that bring comfort to me. And, And we begin to grow in that way, and all of a sudden we find ourselves being strong spiritually because God works, God's Word has an effect, a life-changing effect on you and me. And it's not this struggling and this laboring and trying so hard, and it's got to happen right now. It's not this, you know, me trying to, to, to grow in, in doing all these different things. What I mean by that, in the summertime, when we drive by the cornfields, we don't hear the corn stalks straining and ooh. Sometimes some of the guys will say in the heat of the summer you can hear the corn growing. But I have a plum tree in my backyard and it produces plums most every summer. And I don't go in my backyard in the summertime when I sit out there and hear the branches just straining and struggling to produce fruit. As long as the branch is abiding in the trunk, over time very naturally the tree is going to produce plums fruit and it's the same way with us as we abide in christ and take in the word we naturally will produce fruit it's just a beautiful work of god's spirit transforming me changing me into the image of jesus christ through the effect of the word of god being planted the seed planted in my heart verse 30 then he said to what shall we liken the kingdom of god or with what parable shall we picture it It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. And when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. So in Jesus' day, most people had their herb gardens. They had their mints and their cummins and their rosemary and their mustard seeds. And here in this parable, Jesus talks about a mustard seed. Now, this is something, again, they could understand. The mustard seed is the smallest of seeds. When it grows, it shoots out, Jesus says in his parable, these large branches, so much so that the birds of the air come and nest and rest in the branches. Now, some have suggested that this parable shows that the kingdom starts out small and it grows very beautifully, but we need to remember a couple things here. First of all, botanists will tell you that a mustard plant does not grow into a tree to where it can support birds. So in this parable, you are talking about abnormal, unnatural growth is what you're talking about here. Second of all, keep in mind that throughout scriptures, that bird is birds, symbolic of evil. Remember the parable uh, of the sower? 
that the first type of soil was on the wayside or on the hard ground, and when the seed was sown there, that who came along? The birds came along and took away the seed. And when Jesus explained the parable, he said, the ones with the hard hearts, when the seed is sown, then Satan comes immediately, takes away the word from their hearts, taking away the seed that was sown. So here is Jesus. He's talking about a mustard plant with unnatural growth, evil coming into nests. So I believe that what Jesus is saying is we kind of follow the flow. What Mark is recording is Jesus is teaching the people here. The kingdom as it grows, what we're going to see is that there are going to be those who are going to be coming in. You better take heed to what it is that you're hearing. You better be established and let the Word of God establish you and grow you in faith because there's going to be this unnatural growth. There's going to be those coming in that are going to bring evil, that's going to be false. And Jesus would say that many false prophets and teachers are going to be out in the world, especially in the last days. And I think that we need to take heed and be careful because there are so many voices that are out there, folks, and we need to check everything by the Word of God. The Word of God is being sown in our hearts. I hope that as I teach here that you're comfortable in being able to say, I'm going to go home and check things out. Whatever is taught here at Calvary Chapel, whether it's a Bible study, a Sunday morning, a Wednesday night, that we filter everything through what the Word of God has to say because that is our final authority. There are a lot of voices out there that will lead you astray, that will confuse you, that will try to pluck away the truth of God's Word out of your heart. And I think Jesus is simply saying you need to be careful. Make sure that you have the pure Word of God that's being planted in your heart because there's all kinds of weird birds that are out there. Verse 33, and with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat on the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Verse 40, But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they fear exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus now gives a word to his disciples. It's, it's evening time. He's been ministering to the multitudes. Now he's been teaching them. And he says, Okay, let's go ahead and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which would be over towards the eastern side of the sea. And in our text, as they start out in calm you know, weather, all of a sudden this storm comes up and begins to knock the boat around, and Jesus is asleep in the boat. Now, I used to think, how could he be sleeping at this time? How can he be sleeping in a storm? But remember that Jesus had been ministering to the crowds, giving himself to the crowds so much, he was exhausted. Remember that at the end of chapter 3, we saw that his mother and brothers were there, and they came to talk to him, and they were concerned about him because they thought that he wasn't taking care of himself and not eating right and not sleeping enough. They thought that he was out of his mind, that he didn't have it together mentally. But Jesus, he had dedicated himself totally to the crowds. 
And no doubt, being man, as well as fully God, he was tired, he was exhausted physically. So he says to the disciples, let's get in the boat, let's, let's go on the other side after he teaches the crowd, and suddenly there comes this violent storm. Now, the Sea of Galilee, again, being in a bowl, that storms can come upon the Sea of Galilee very, very quickly, and the winds come up and come down through those valleys and begin to swirl around the Sea of Galilee, and it can happen just like that, kind of like in our own mountains, that if you've ever been in one of the valleys in the summertime or up in the mountains, and all of a sudden over the peaks comes the storm upon you very, very quickly, and you have to be careful. You have to keep watching. I know that when I take the kids out fishing, we can be back hiking a mile or two. We have to watch and see if those storm clouds begin to gather quite, you know, uh, you know begin to gather, and they will be upon you quickly if you're not careful. And that's the way it was here. So here they start out. Jesus gives them the word, let's go over to the other side, and this storm comes up. And the water comes pouring into the boat, and the disciples are panicking. And remember that many of them grew up on this lake. They were fishermen. So they had seen storms and been out in storms, no doubt. But this one was different. This storm was so bad that even the disciples were terrified. Probably a storm they'd never seen anything like it before. And they come and they wake up Jesus and they say, don't you know that we're about ready to perish? And so Jesus arose and he said, peace, be still, or literally, be muzzled. And that's an interesting term because it was a word that he used in the same phraseology that he would use when addressing demons. And the reason that I find that interesting is he would say to the demons, be muzzled, be still. We've already seen that in Mark's gospel. The implication perhaps being that this storm was stirred by Satan. And think about it. I mean, the whole kingdom of God is in this boat here. Jesus and his disciples, and no doubt, if Satan could sink that boat and they would all drown, then he would think, victory for me. I just drowned Jesus and all his disciples. There goes God's plan. But Jesus, he would stand up and he would say, peace, be muzzled, and then there was calm. And it astonished these guys in the boat. But then he turned to his disciples and said, why are you so fearful? Why are you so fearful? Why are you afraid? Now, when I read this story and I think about it, I think, the reason they were afraid is because of the storm. These guys were fearing for their lives. Water's coming into the boat. They're about ready to go down. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. And we would think the reaction of the disciples, that's a natural reaction, understandable that they would be afraid. So why is Jesus saying to them, why have you no faith? This is very important. You see in chapter 4 here, We've just seen teaching on faith, and now there's a testing on faith. You see, after teaching will come testing. Do you know that? After teaching on the Word of God and on faith, there's going to be testing of the Word of God, and there's going to be testing of your faith. It's a fact. When you receive teaching, you're going to go through testing. And what was he teaching in the parables, the kingdom as it relates to the word of God? Now he taught on receiving the word. Now he gives them his word, verse 35. He says to them, let us cross over to the other side. He didn't say, 
Say, let's go out in the lake so we can sink. He didn't say, let's go under to the other side. He had given his word, let's go over to the other side. The word was given, the word was spoken. He gave his word, and let's go over to the other side. Now the word is challenged by Satan. It looks like the boat is going to go down, but he had given his promise. He had given his word. Hey, let us pass over to the other side. And if Jesus gives the word, and he's in the boat, and he's in your life, You're not going to go down. Because his word is true, and he's going to be faithful to his word. And the Lord is in your life. And there are those storms that will rage all around us. And we may feel like, whoa, Lord, don't you care that I'm perishing? Don't you see that I'm going down? And we may even think that the Lord is asleep or apathetic concerning my situation. I want to remind you of what the Old Testament prophet Zephaniah said in chapter 3 of his book, The Lord thy God in the midst of the mighty, He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in His love. He will joy over thee with singing. And whatever storm that you may be facing presently, or perhaps you might be facing tomorrow or this week, The Lord's not wondering, oh, are they going to make it? Or are they going to sink? He knows that he's going to see you through because he's resting in his love for you. And if he's resting in his love for you, he's not up in heaven panicking, pacing back and forth, looking down saying, boy, Jeff, I wonder if you're going to make it. You're about ready to go under. He says, then I might rest in my love with you. And my promise is true for you. And then I must learn to rest as well. He promised that he will never leave me or forsake me. He promised that he work all things out for good for those who love him who are called according to his purposes. He promised that he would complete that work in me that he has begun. He promised that he would open doors for me that no man can shut and shut doors that no man can open. He promised that he would see me through until the day that he comes back for me. And he rests in his love for me and for you as well. And that means I can say, okay, Lord, no matter how rough the seas might be in my life, that if you are at rest, then I will be as well. And Lord, I'm in your hands. And you've given your word. And if you say that we're going to go over to the other side, then we're going to go over, even though I'm going through this storm. And I think that might be an important word for perhaps some of you here this morning. But I want to give you one more thought, and then we're going to go to the communion table. Notice here that it tells us that in our text, in verse 36, that there are other little boats that were with him, right? I have that underlined. You know what that speaks of? It speaks that all of us go through trials and difficulties. And I don't know what trials you may go through. I don't know exactly. You may go through similar trials that somebody else does, but it's not exactly the same way. But those little boats were out there. Paul says, no temptation comes to you except what is common to all men. We all go through those difficult times and problems and trials and storms of life. But here, when Jesus calmed the storm, those other little boats were blessed because of the storm that got calmed. You see, when you're going through 
storms in your life, and when people see you, that the Lord has calmed your spirit, and you're trusting in Him, and you're not folding and withering under the heat because your root system is deep in the things of God, the Word of God planted as you stand on the Word of God and taking heed to it, as they see you being blessed and that there's a strength within you, that there's a peace in your heart, that there is a calmness in your soul, that there's still that joy unspeakable that's taking place. You know what happens? They end up being blessed. And it's a testimony to them of the reality of God is working in your life. And the Word of God being worked in your life as you stand on the Word of God. And it's a testimony and a blessing to them when they're going through storms. Hey, how is it that you were able to go through the storm that you went through with the strength and peace and with wisdom? Because I know the Word of God. I have the Lord in my heart and I trust Him and I rest in His love for me. And then you're able to minister to others. Do you know that? The other little boats were blessed when that storm was calmed. And you can bless others as they see you trusting the Lord and the testing of your faith as you go through the trials which will do that work of completion and perfection in your life, maturing you and growing you to be a blessing to others. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this chapter that we went over, so much that is here. But Lord, I thank you for those who are here this morning to hear your word. And I pray that always as we are in this place that the word of God, the gospel would be, Lord, planted in our hearts and taken root there. And Lord, that we would continue on with the word of God. Father, that those of us in this room, Lord, we would just rejoice in the gospel message each and every day, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And that's why we come to the communion table this morning, to remember His work and allowing His body to be broken and His blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. And Father, I thank You that the few of us that are in this room, that we can come to the communion table and we can take of communion, holding the bread as You allowed Your body to be broken in the cup of the new covenant, in my blood, Jesus said, for the forgiveness of sin. Father, I pray that all of us have that in our hearts, established in that. Never waver. Lord, if there's anyone here at all, maybe listening out in a coffee shop, that maybe you don't have that gospel message in your heart. You've never really planted yourself in the truth of what God declares the good news that the good news of the gospel is this, that we have all sinned, and Jesus came to this world to die for your sins. He became the perfect sacrifice as he went to Calvary's cross and died for you. There's no other hope, no other salvation. There's no other way to forgiveness of sin. It's only through Jesus and what he did on Calvary's cross for you. And we are all sinners, saved by grace saved by the blood of Jesus Christ as he shed his blood on Calvary's cross. Lord, I pray that everyone would be established in that. And if you're not, if anyone here is not, you pray in your heart in faith, believing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and died for you. And you pray, Jesus, come into my heart. 
Lord, forgive me my sins. I am a sinner. I confess. And I know that I am to repent and turn to you and cast my heart upon you, surrender my heart fully to you. And I do that at this time. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. And Lord, help me to live a life for you, surrendered to you. And may the word of God be planted in my heart and take root there. Not that it's falling upon thorny ground or the cares of the world choke out what I've just received, but Lord, to bear fruit there in our hearts. And Father, I pray that we would just continue in worship as right now we hold the communion elements in our hands and we'll partake of them together as one body. But Lord, just bless this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.
The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take of the bread together. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take of the cup together. For as often as you 